Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Thank you, worship team. Now, this is a little different. It's not your normal United Can message. I know. I was telling my wife about it. It's a little different. And um, as always, I look for a confirmation. God, what do you want me to say? Is this right? So I, I'm on my Twitter tweet, and one uh, not I was a tweet. I was looking at a tweet. What do they call that? Twitter. Yeah. And um, one lady said this statement. That's a straw man argument. And I go, wow. Because that was one of my points I'm going to talk about. And um, you very seldom hear a tweet about a straw man argument. And so it was the Lord speaking to me. So. I really believe God has something for us, for those of us here in relation to our ministry and to United We Can, what it's going to take uh, to, um, to reach the world. We have Matthew 21, verse 23, and we're going to read 23 to 32 so we can get a, a good background on what we're going to talk about today. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him. They demanded, but what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it really human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, <clears throat> he would ask why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mocked because the people believe John was a prophet. Well, they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later, he changed his mind. Say, so he changed his mind. And he went away. Then the father told the other son, you go, he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father, he replied. The first. Then Jesus explained this meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. Well, tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent from your sins. Father, we thank you. We're always careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. I pray, Lord God, that you would touch people's lives, touch people's heart, and allow us to focus in on you. For God, you are the author. You are the finisher of our faith. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch every heart. Lord, that every heart here would be completely sold out to what you have for them. Yes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your chairs. <clears throat> now that in Matthew 21 through uh, 23 through 32, the key scripture I want want you to look at is verse 29. In the King James, New King James rather, in the New King James, it says, he answered, said, I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. 
In the King James, it says, He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. In the New Living Translation, when we read it, he said, The son answered, No, I won't go, but later he changed his mind. One thing I learned as a parent, five children and one grandbaby, raising them all up. Neither one of them is alike. I mean, they are just so different. I'm like, oh my God. Once you, you think you got to figure it out with one, the next one comes and messes you all up. And you figure it out with this one, and the next one comes and they mess you all up. And then, you, you know, after you know, five, I thought, you know, I got this down. And then God messed me up. Brought me a grandbaby. It's completely different. I go, wow, we're all different. You know, and you know, the order of the birth rate, uh, birth often sets the base for each child's personality. I don't want to get into deep personality trait, but tend to be the eldest child always tend to be the perfectionist. And sometimes you look at a perfectionist and you go, you know, everything got to be perfect and they're real, like, oh, they're real perfect. And you ask them, uh, you can almost guess 100%. That's, an, that's the oldest child. Why? Because everything's got to be perfect. Perfect, right? And they tend to be more of a control freak. Now, if you're an old child, old child, don't get mad at me. I'm, pull, I'm not trying to pull your cover. That's just the way it is. And the youngest child tends to be uh, the spoiled brat. They, they, they love attention. In other words, the youngest tend to be the clown. Yeah. The class clown, right? Because you know when you're the young one, come on, baby dance. They're, all, they're like, yeah, and they grow up being the baby and they're the class clown. They want all the attention. Why? Because I'm the baby, right? Now, if you're the baby, welcome. <laughs> welcome, right? You're the class clown. We know it and you like attention. It's okay. That's just because personalities are personalities. Now, the middle child, poor, the poor middle child. <laughs> Those, the middle child tends to be the one like this. Nobody understands me. Woe is me. Woe, woe, woe is me. Why? Because here's the middle child watching the baby get all the attention and watching the oldest having everything in control because they're in charge, because they're the oldest, they're the boss, they're the boss of me. And so here's the middle one. He's the boss and he gets everything and I get nothing. I, I'm the middle child. I get the hand-me-downs from my older brother or older sister, but the baby doesn't because by the time they get to him, they're all worn out. So the baby gets the new stuff. And then the, alas, the poor middle child. Right? Now, that's very broad, but it's pretty close to what happens in a family. See, the, if you look at the context of the parable of the two sons, they're different. The parable comes in response to a question. The chief priests, the religious people, they asked Jesus as he taught the temple, who gave you this authority? Right? How come you're preaching like you're preaching? Who said that you can do that? And see, Jesus knew they were up to something, they were trying to trick us, so he refused to answer the question directly, but he was going to answer it. But he knew if he gave them a direct answer, they would argue, and, and, and he didn't want to have an argument. See, previously they declined to answer his own question concerning the source of John's baptism. He goes, well, that's how he got out. Well, if you're not going to answer me about John, then I'm not going to even answer you this question. But let me tell you a story. So in other words, he answered his question without letting them know he was going to answer them. 
Right? So this parable provides an indirect answer and is shown to be the connective between the questions. Right? This parable is presented as a vivid pictorial. It's a challenge of the religious people of his day. Religious folk. Now, with regards, I, I pray we have no religious people here. But religious people are not going to like this message tonight or today. Because this is a challenge to those who think they're okay with God, who think they got it all together. Well, right? See, in Matthew 3, 4, the whole scripture, uh, the whole context here, we find a first group responding to the message of John, uh, the repentance by John. If you look at Matthew 3, 4, a little earlier, a few scriptures before what we just read, it says that John's clothes was made of camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Can you imagine having a diet of locust? And wild honey. I, I never thought anybody would eat a locust. But I was in Germany, right? I was in Germany years ago. And, and I've seen these old ladies, like, like a whole herd of old ladies. And they had, they had a basket. And they're in the field. They had a basket. Right? I'm like, what are all those ladies doing in the field? And they had a little net. I, just, I'm, I got, you know, I'm curious. I go, what are they doing? And they were catching grasshoppers. Locusts, they were out there, and they put them in the basket. Wow. And I go, why are they doing that? Because they're going to eat those puppies. So when we, if you have any grasshoppers in your house, just bring them in, fry them, and I hear this tastes like chicken. Amen. <laughs> People went out, verse 5, they went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. People came to John. Why? They came to John after their change of mind or regret for their sinful way of life. They came after their what? Regret. And if they changed their mind. They feared. This is, what this is why they came. It wasn't really that they repented. Repent, they regretted. They changed their mind. And sometimes that's the, the first way in. That's how most people come. They don't really repent. Oh God, I repent. No. They change their mind. They don't want to do this no more. Well, these people were more of afraid of not being accepted by the Messiah, right? So, the first son represents this group. Those people who, who change their mind and they're more afraid. That's like, I'm afraid of going to hell. That's not enough. That's like being afraid of the boogeyman. God doesn't want people afraid of going to hell. Mm-hmm. That's the first, that represents the first group. Let's keep, keep reading this scripture, Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, John speaking, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, man, here's John the Baptist eating locusts and honey, and all these religious people here that what's happening. And instead of John Rockwell, what does he call them? C calls them a bunch of snakes. That's one way to really shrink your church. <laughs> Amen? I mean, nobody's going to go to John's church. Oh, don't go to John's church. Why? We're vipers. Right? He says, you vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just change your mind. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have 
Abraham was our father, right? And that's what that we have. We're fathers. He's our father, so that's why we deserve heaven. I tell you, he keeps reading that out of this, these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree, check this out, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in to the fire. He's telling those people who, who knew about that. And so what, what kind of a United We Can message is this? Listen, we have to get serious about winning people to Jesus. Amen. If we're going to be united, we have to think because these statements are not just from some statement of old. My friend, if we don't have a change of mind but a true heart of repentance, these statements are for us. In Matthew 3, 7 through 10, the religious characters which parallel the second son, religious people, in the parable, they said, he would obey, and yet in the end, they did not, right? They're, they're religious. Oh, I come to church, and I do all this. Yet, they don't obey. They come to church, but they don't do what God said to do. You see, you see the analogy? Hmm? They went to church, but they didn't answer the call. They went to church and got mad at somebody and left. They went to church, and they had all these things come up that sidetrack us from what God has called you personally, not me, just me, but us personally called you. Yeah. Yet we find a way out of it. Hmm. To these religious leaders saw only too well that Jesus was referring to them. Look, this is the specific explanation and application is found in Matthew 21, 31. Matthew 21, 31 reads like this. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered, said to Jesus and to them, I tell the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Isn't that amazing? Why do you think one of the main impetuses of us doing rehab and code red? Because scripture is like this. You know why? Because these people are going to do God's will. The ones that I wanted, prostitutes, drug addicts, gangsters, they're going to do God's will when they get saved. The other ones who are all clean and got their act together, guess what they're going to do? They're the second one. They're going to act and they're going to say they're going to church, but they won't fulfill God's call in their life. And if we have people like that, how are we going to reach the world? We can't be united. We can't. We're kidding ourselves. See, people have to come to understanding that you're called. Yeah. It's not an option. It's not, well, if I got time, let me look at my, my calendar on my, my, my dumb phone. We're called. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. That's a fabulous thing. I'm not, it's not like telling them, hey, I'm going to pull all your teeth out. This is a great thing. You're called of God. Amen. Let me say it again. You're called of God. Amen. That's a great thing. Um, in this generation, two things happen when the truth of God's plan is revealed. In this, now I'm talking about our generation. Uh, the first group of people, they fear the prospect of losing their current standing or the imaginary future that they have planned. So here's, here's this kind of preaching. Wait a minute. 
I have, I, I, I have plans. So they fear it as if God's going to ruin your plans. He has plans to prosper you. To bless you, not to hurt you, to harm you. But the devil begins to play with the people's mind. The, that, that fear of the prophet of losing their current standing. Wait a minute. Then, once they come to that point, here's the confirmation. Now the straw man arguments come to life. A straw man argument. A straw man is the name of a logical fallacy. It sounds logical, but it's a lie. A logical fallacy, which means that if you carefully dissect the argument that they have or statement, it avoids the question and doesn't make sense. Hmm? It's a straw man argument. Jesus, in, in, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said something, and he was talking to people, and, and he goes, Hey, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to a man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. See, Jesus didn't ask him if he needed to bury his father. What was the question? Follow me. But rather than answering the question, what did he do? He created a straw man. A straw man, a fallacy. Well, first let me go bury my father. Doesn't that sound nice? Well, I, so what happens, this argument, you lift up an argument and, it can't, and you win the argument because now this man has just diverted from the question that he, he didn't say he didn't want to follow Jesus. He said he got to bury his father. So he gets away from the answer. That's called a straw man argument. It's a logical fallacy. Right? So this statement in its own sounds so normal, but it's not what Jesus asked. Jesus said, follow me. The man should have been honest and said, no. But he didn't say no. He, he put a, an argument that sounds good. It's called, it's just, it sounds so nice. Let's look at the story. Let's continue the story there. In verse 60, Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, here's the other one, I will follow you, Lord. Right? So he answered, right, I want to follow you. But first let me go back and say goodbye. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand in the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Think about these statements. Don't get mad at me. I read them and I go, whoa, this is heavy stuff right here. See, in the best case, the lack of faith moves them down a path of an ordinary, acceptable life. Best case. In other words, these people who said no to Jesus, here's the best case. They just live a normal life, ordinary life, and die. Now, some people are, some people like that, I guess. That's the best case. So I'm talking these two people. The worst case, well, in the worst case, the knowledge that one rejects God's plan causes you to absorb yourself with destructive behavior. That's the worst case. So those are two options. Either you just live an ordinary life and die, if that's your thing, well, God bless you. Or God's called you and you, and you know that God's called you, you've been running and dodging. Hmm? The only way to ease your conscience, you begin to destroy your own life. Been doing this 32 years, I've seen this happen quite often. 
The second group, one gets completely excited. Here's the second group. They read stuff like this, they get completely excited about the prospect their life can have on a global level. You're saying, if I follow you, I can do what? You can, you can get excited. See, the second people get excited for it. So I'm, I'm, as a pastor, I watch some get excited, some get mad. Some just live on and become a, a beggar and do and just die. Others kill themselves. I've seen it. Hmm? The second group, they get excited. They come from nothing. They have nothing. Let you know they're preaching all over the planet. When you look at South Africa, you gotta give it to Chucky. There, he was from Fremont, California. FMT, little thug in the ghetto of Fremont. And now he's traveling the world. He's in Africa. You look at all these pastors, even Louis in Johannesburg came from East L.A. Morning, right? Right? He was there, and what? Look at him. Pastoring. Why? Because they got excited about these scriptures. They said, I'm going to drive into it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish something for God. You look at Manchester. You're talking about Manchester, England. The pastor there was him and his wife were heroin addicts, strung out to the bone. Both of them going to home. Now they have the largest victory outreach in Europe. Why? Because they got excited at the prospect of following Jesus. And by the way, all those people I just mentioned, they had mamas and daddies too. And over the long haul, God took care of their family. God took care of them much better than we could ever. Hmm. So this family on the second group jumps into everything that ministry has to offer. They may not know what they're calling and where they're going to be, but they jump in. That's what me and my wife did. When I came there, I knew someone was up. I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know the difference between Jesus and Jack of the Box. I knew nothing about anything. But I knew one thing. I jumped in. I said, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going all the way in. I jumped in feet, two feet first. I didn't go like some people. You know you go to the swimming pool. Oh, Woo, it's cold. No, no, no. I, I didn't look at the water. I jumped in. I didn't, I didn't worry about the cold. I didn't jump in all the way. Because I was looking at the prospect of a new life, the prospect of traveling the globe. I, and you know what? It was only a dream. I was 24 or 5 years old. I don't care. It was only a dream, an imaginary dream that has come true. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's come true. So I'm, I'm a testimony. Oh, I was there and I was like, well, what's really going on? It was a dream, but let me see, I'm living my dream. And it's only beginning. Oh, I get discouraged. I wonder when it's going to happen. God, when are you going to fill this church? He goes, don't worry about that. You just do what you're called to do because the people got to get it. The people got to get it. Because it's united, we can. Not united, I can. Hello. No. It's not united, I can't. It's united, we can. To a family who understands what I'm talking about, they jump into ministry according to their capacity. They tackle a ministry function. They become church pillars. They may never go anywhere, but you know, they're faithful at their post. Huh? They pay their tithes. They get involved united they can. They give their offering to reach the world. And they're there day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. They, but they know they're a part of it. Amen. That's right. That happens. 
Hmm? They see blessings and the miraculous works of the Lord, this second group. When you start jumping in, you really see the miraculous works of the Lord. That first group that just want to play church, they come in, they don't see God move. They just look at all oh, night. They want to be respectable. They don't want to be hanging out. So they come, they're respectable. Oh, hello. Oh, God bless you. Oh, God bless you. Why did I sneeze? What's happening? I mean, they're just all going out there. No, no, no. We want more than that. We want power. We want anointing. They see the power. These people, they get involved. They go into full-time ministry. They become staff, secretary, bookkeeper. Some of them even go into the field all over the world. Why? Because they bite into it. They bite into it. Well, you, you can't just be on the, the fringes. Verse 45 of Matthew 21, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. So look what they do. They get all mad. They look for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So if you look at the content of the parable, the father had two children growing up. The word used in this parable is techna, children. It's not hui, and it's very important because sometimes they say children. We, as English, we see children, children. There's two different words often used, right? Here they use techna. That word hui means sons. Sons are old enough to decide what they're going to do in life, right? The word, that word hui is used in the parable of the prodigal son. They're a little different. Here, in this parable, we have two children, techna, who have not yet carved out their careers nor made any final choices. They're still wondering. They're, they're, they're in that point of maybe, maybe not. Right? So the father invited both these sons to go to work, these children to go to work. They work in his vineyard. So it was the father's duty to teach his children the necessity, the necessity of, of, being, of working and the blessings of work. So the children recognize that this is their father's field. And the father asked his children to work in the field in Matthew 21, verse 28. And Jesus describes the field in Matthew 13. Go to Matthew 13 and look at the field we're talking about. Matthew 13, 37, Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. Where is it at? The field is the world. The field is not just your neighborhood. The field is not just Colorado. The field is not just the United States. The field is the world. Right? Let's keep reading. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. So Jesus plants what? You, the good seed. Are you good seed? Or are you crap nuts? Or you're a dandelion, you look nice. When the first is a little like cute little yellow, but you're just a root, root or a weed rather. What are you? See, Jesus planted the good seed, the field of the world. The weeds, hello someone, are you ready? The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. Oh, now, now he's beginning to separate. So we have to decide, are we the good seed that Jesus plants? Or are we weeds? 
See, some people, most people, all, I wouldn't say all, but most people don't even know the difference between good seed and weeds. They, some think the weeds are good. Especially this day and age. The Bible says in the end times, people will turn around with good for evil. To what was once good is now evil. And we're in it. The law's in place now that now it's okay for a man to be with a man. Once was, what, what was once evil is now good. And if you come against that, you're evil. And these are Christians voting for people like that. Christians don't even know the difference between weeds and good seed. Amazing. Let's keep reading. The enemy, verse 29, who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Now look at the word angels, because we have a misinterpretation. Most people, when we say the angels, we think of an angelic being with wings, right? The angels. No, 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 no. That word angel is angelo, which means a messenger, or by implication, a pastor. It comes from the word ago, which means to lead, to bring, or to induce. So those people who lead the angels, who lead, who bring, who induce people are angels. So my friend, the Bible saying if you lead somebody, if you induce them to the gospel, huh? Then you, my friend, are the harvester. You are the messenger. You are the angel. As laborers, us children at work, we must never lose sight of the fact. Or you the one who say you need to do this like me and say no, but do. Because when God asks you to do something so crazy like he asks you to do, you all will. The first reaction is, are you kidding me? But if you're the son, you think about it and you do it. It's natural to say, I can't do that. Wait a minute. But you have to have a change of mind. And the change of mind comes by your faith. And faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. See, that's why when people begin to fade away, it's very simple. It's very easy. You can tell the more they fade away from church without hearing, the easier it is for them not to come anymore and not listen. Why? Because they're losing faith and they're deadening their ears. Because they don't want to hear that God's called them. They, my friend, are the second group. They hear, but they don't. You see the picture. See, the whole world is a vineyard for us children to work in. We lead people to Christ. You bring people to church. We induce a response to the gospel and our testimony. These two children were the same father, yet they were so different. Completely different. When the second son was introduced, the Greek text describes him very uniquely. The second son. It says, the other who will there be different makeup and outlook? Now the first child said, I don't want to go. His voice, rather he voiced the instant inclination of a sinful nature. I don't want to. And we all understand it. If you tell a child, and remember I had five in the grammar, if you tell a child to do something or to go somewhere, right? The likely answer will be from them is, 
I don't want to. No. Unless you have the unique child who's so obedient and wants to do everything. But when you tell a child to do something, normally they say what? I don't want to. I go to my baby, baby, go get me some glass of water. I don't want to. Go get me some glass of water. No, I don't want to. All right, I remember that when you want, sometimes I'll tell you no. Right, you ever do that with your kids? Come on, you know if you had a kid, you know, oh, I'll get you back, Jack. <laughs> but that's, that, that's the normal response for children, correct? Hmm? See, when, the, again, that other child, or other, the, 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 the first child, even though they say no, afterward, he repented and went, remember? We don't know how much after, but toward the end of a thought process, he went. The second child is differently disposed, but the challenge of the father was the same. This child said, I'll go, I'll do it. They want to look good. Yes, uh, but they don't. Right? What's the application? I'm coming in for landing. There's a couple of applications, but I'm gonna talk for you Bible scholars. There's, there's a prophetic thing, a bigger picture. See, God came, right? And he comes to two children, he had Gentiles and Jews. And the Jews said yes, but didn't go into the world. They try to keep God to themselves. Then he went to the Gentiles, the unwanted. And the unwanted said, we don't want you, God. But then they went and they received him. And because of the Gentiles, we're Gentiles, the whole world is being evangelized. And the Jews to this day remain separate. We're the Jews. Couldn't be proud. If you can't hear us, we'll talk a little louder. Right? They're the Jews. And that was the, the big picture. The personal application for you huh? is your initial response to Christ when Jesus asked, maybe no. But here I'm here to tell you, if you change your mind, you'll be blessed. Huh? You might say, no, 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 no. But if you change your mind, you'll be blessed. See, was your initial response in the, and this is what happens all the time, in the emotion of a sermon, or somebody touched your, your emotional core, you came to the altar and you cried, you, you, all, all your mocos and your snot was on the carpet. Because why? God touched your heart. You're all emotional. And said, will you go? You say, yeah, I'll go. And the emotion leaves. How do you say, wait a minute, what was I talking about? I know. Shoot, I know. Because that is what, that is the common practice of people in church. They come in, they, they repent, quote unquote, or they have regret, they get emotionally touched, and they say, oh, I'll do it, but they never do a thing. Mm. How can this type of people be united? We can. Mm. So have you found that that no fruit has come from your flipping? Yes. To change your mind, you have to change your mind. And the only way to change your mind is through repentance. Allow the gospel to take root and bring forth fruit. See, one child repented. The other child was all talk and no commitment. Repented, all talk. So what is repentance? I'm gonna, I might end with this. See, if one is to reach the world, first of all, one, we must repent. You must have a change of, of mind, a change of heart. And then you have to ask yourself, be honest. 
Is it, is the world worth it? That's the bottom line. Because if you find value in the world, if you find value in God's ministry, what he's doing, then you can repent. But if the world is not worth it, if all you care is about you getting better, getting better with your relationship with your wife, your honey, your bunny, or getting a job, in a career, if that's all you care about, then the world is not worth it. You are the second child. Is the world worth it? The word most commonly translated repentance in the New Testament comes from changing one mind. This involves an instantaneous change of heart, regret for unbelief and sin, and a determination to change direction. This is what both John the Baptist and the Lord preach. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. You need to repent. To huh? so notice when and why Jesus began to pre preach, huh? He needed to, to preach. And it happened right after, check this out, in Matthew chapter 4, right after Jesus was tempted by the devil. Jesus goes into there, and the devil began to tempt him and offer him the word. He said, You don't have to do this, Jesus. I will give you the world. Why go to the cross? Why suffer? I have the authority to give everything I have to whomever I wish. You don't have to follow God's plan in your life. The devil has the authority to bless you. And most people fall for that. Huh? In Matthew 4, 1, it says that Jesus was led into the spirit to be tempted by the devil. In verse 12 of Matthew 4, when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he returned to Galilee. All this was taking place. In verse 17 of that same chapter, and from that time on, that's after John the Baptist was arrested and they began to, they were going to cut off his head. He said, from that time on, Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Let me close. See, real repentance results in the forgiveness and removal of sin. Real repentance. This is not the word used in Matthew 21, 29. When he said, but afterward he repented and went. That just, he changed his mind. And it begins with a change of mind. But listen, even that change of mind is not real repentance. Real repentance means you have been forgiven of God and sin. Anybody ever sin? So when you really repent, I don't care if you sinned last night, this morning. When you repent, all that sin is removed. That's heavy stuff right there. And what happens is most people don't really repent. They feel sorry or they feel regret. And I got that from the Lord, but I, when I repented, I knew I repented. You know what? The truth, I repented. When I repented, I said, I'm not going to do that no more. July 21st, 1985. Before that day, I was getting high every single day. That was all I could remember. The first time I got high and got an OD, I was in fifth grade. I was a baby. I OD'd. My friends threw me and dropped me off my porch. So the day I repented, July 21st, 1985, the next day I never got high again. Amen. 
So when people say they regret and they get high, they, my friend, I'm here to tell you, you never repented. It is impossible to truly repent and to fall back into your vomit. You had a sense of regret. You were sorry. But today, my friend, today is your day to truly repent. And listen, if you repent today, you will never get high again. Amen. Yes. Never. Yes. Thus, say it, the Lord. Mm. See, the Greek word means to regret. See, it's like this. I'm going to have a count here. A thief. You know any thieves? A thief when caught regrets stealing, but not because. He has concluded that stealing is a sin. No, this thief regrets stealing because he was caught. Such a person has not become moral, even if that person doesn't steal anymore. Even if he steal, doesn't steal him, doesn't become moral. So he didn't regret and realize that he was morally corrupt. He just regretted that he stole and got caught. It's like a dope fiend. Just because you don't get high doesn't mean you're not a dope fiend. Huh, you're just, you, you're upset because your dope fiend got you in trouble. You being a dope fiend got you and you regret getting in trouble. That doesn't make you morally right. It just means, you, you may not get high again. When you are morally right and right with God, you, you, you're way beyond that. You're, you are re repenting because you know without God, you're destined for hell. Without God, you have no hope. It has nothing to do with the drug and everything to do with who you are. That's repentance. That's repentance. God, I am sorry for who I am. Not for the drugs, for drinking, for the violence, for the anger, for the lying. No. See, most people are just regret because they got caught. No, you're sorry for who you are, a sinner, destined for hell, a weed in God's garden. This is mere regret if you don't change your character. If you don't change your character. See, my prayer is that we repent and devote ourselves to reaching the world. Because united we can. Let me say it again. My prayer is that we repent and we devote ourselves to reaching the world. Because united we can. So my prayer is also that we all experience the excitement and the joy of world travel. My prayer. My prayer is that we all see the power of God, not only in Colorado Springs, but in a foreign land. My prayer is that we all operate in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want every head bowed and every head closed.